Who created the little jingle? The, the, the I really like that. It, it's nice. It, it works well. <laughs> no, no, it's from uh, what's her name's. Happy, Happy New, New Year. Year. Happy, New, Happy Year. New Year. Welcome back to Gospel Well Podcast, Episode 8. And we're continuing the conversation yes. from last podcast on the gospel and the generations. So it's good to be back. How's your beginning of the new year? Quiet. Back to no kids. Not quiet. I still have my kids. So <laughs> it's a full house. It's the opposite of what Joe has experienced. Joe, <laughs> how was it going from having a very full house? Because in Philadelphia, you had a larger home. With actually more people. Yes. Because you had your in-laws. But here you have a not as large a home, but you almost had the same amount of people. Right. Uh, for a brief moment, it was fun. And then... Brief moment? Well, the <laughs> going from quiet to loud was nice for a moment. And then it um, got back to settled old waters and... Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it, but don't get me wrong. My wife questions my love for my children, but I'm glad they're doing what they're doing right now. I question your love <laughs> for your children. <laughs> Actually, Joe's kids are, they're pretty awesome, <laughs> I must say. So we are back. Painful. Yes. Today's topic is? Generations. I think we're continuing the conversation we had last time, but with a few offshoots. I think one is the question of why are the generations, at least in the church, so compartmentalized? And I think the the meaning behind that question is generally in a church you have different age groups and life stages and they tend to stay siloed. They're, they're uh, sort of associating with those who are like them. And it's not just in the church, but it's actually even the pursuit of a church. You, you walk into a church worship and you look around and you're trying to find a new church. You're moved into the area. And I think many people will look and the first thing that they see is, is anyone like me? And that could be cultural, ethnic. And many times it's actually age and life stage. It's if I have young children, I want to know, are there people with young kids? If I am a senior, I want to know if others have gray hair. If I am a college student, I want to know if there are other college students. If definitely, if I am a single young adult, I'm looking for other single young adults. And, you know, there are reasons as to why that is the case. So I guess the, the question, one of the questions that we wanted to tackle today is, is this a good thing? And, and how did this happen? And where do we go from here? So, Joe? <laughs> um, is it a good thing? I would say yes and no. I would say yes, it's a good thing because we are all very different and God doesn't look at cookie cutter people. Sure, we are all creating the image of God, but different ages, different sizes, different personalities, preferences, all made beautifully originally, creatively by God. And so I think it's a good thing, like even in this room, I'm with two fellow pastors. I enjoy that fellowship. I don't wish to only be around pastors. And Why not? 
Why not? Um, because pastors tend to be boring and they just talk about the same stuff, but that's okay. <laughs> um, speak for yourself. I, I think you might be talking about Fuji there. That's right. No, he definitely doesn't talk about the same thing that you would with other pastors. Is uh, that he, not true? He definitely does not. And that's okay. But I, I need this. So that is the other side of that. I, I need something else. And, and I think uh, there are times where God can minister to us in likeness and similarity. But he certainly, um, if, in, if I can reference my empty nest existence, my wife, we are completely different in every way. Um, you name it, every category, every possible perspective. But we're, we're very different, and yet she's my helper, given to me by the Lord. And I'm there. And I don't mind using this word to help her and to lead her, to encourage her, to have fellowship with her. And, and that has been wonderful. Mm. So... I don't need to be with another Joe. I'm glad I'm not. So <laughs> Yeah, that wouldn't be so good. Yeah. Well, she is very different from you. She uses shampoo and you use soap. That is true. Oh I so I think there are times for both. <laughs> That's what I mean by good and bad. <laughs> Fuji, why does this happen in the church? Well, let's put it in positive sense. Like if you want to reach a certain group of people, you have to kind of adjust ministry towards them and so you kind of cater to that group to attract that group or keep that group uh the problem is is if you contextualize or uh or adjust the ministry towards them there is that kind of over catering Mm -hmm. to them they remain in that allow me to use the word bubble or compartment or silo and they feel like that's is really for them and they become consumers. Um, and we could talk about consumptive behavior another time, mm-hmm. but the church practically wants to minister to them. They provide all those things for them. They feel like they're being fed or helped or encouraged. And then they just stay within that silo. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a short sightedness that comes with this type of thinking is if you only spend time with people who are exactly like you, you think to yourself, I'm going to have deeper, better relationships because we have common interests. We are going through the same thing. And there's some, there's value to that. So it's not as though there's no value, but the problem is that it shifts very quickly towards insularity because you cannot imagine that there are other ways that God wants to shape you, that the Holy Spirit is trying to sanctify us. And sanctification is always a burning process. It's not a, oh, everything is well and all is good. But when there are different challenges or maybe different personalities and we're willing to walk alongside with them, I think he reveals in us something very unique that we didn't even know about ourselves without having someone who is distinctively different from us. And so if I am, as a 54-year-old man, never encounters or have has a single conversation with, say, a high school student, I probably am missing a little bit of something, not just of them, but of myself. Or if I've never uh, spending time with an 85-year-old who is really thinking about the last months, 
year of their life, there is something to be learned and gleaned from the wisdom that is found to be when that is experienced then. That actually impacts me as a 54-year-old man. And if we don't ever step out into that, that insularity, it's deadening to your soul. And it actually, I think it slowly but surely, well, here's the reality is that not everyone who is similar to us is going to be around us all the time. And so if you can't relate to people outside of your own sphere, you're going to relate to eventually no one. And you, you get to a place where you're all alone. And we've seen it happen. I know you guys, like Joe, you've seen this happen, right? Where people cut off relationships because, oh, this person, their, their personality quirks are too great for me and I don't want to deal with that. Or, or this person has issues or this person, I, I don't really understand them because they they're not going through what I'm going through. And slowly but surely, one by one, we're, as we're cutting out people, start realizing, actually, the only one who really, we really like is ourself. What do you think? I agree. Mm-hmm. You know, from a positive perspective, I look at it as I am not fully equipped in every way, mm-hmm. not perfect. And so I need, whether it's through my wife or friends or colleagues, other people to compensate, to assist, to compliment. But on the reverse side, considering the fact that I'm a sinner, prone to sin, prone to wander, my heart is deceitful above all things. I need someone who is going to be, I don't know, this comes to mind, an agitating agent so to unveil and to cause me to be uncomfortable in my s- sinful skin and to unearth that, allow it to come to mm. surface so that I can deal with it. Otherwise, if I'm with people who are just like me, then the sin kind of stays dormant or hidden and doesn't get ruffled. My mm-hmm. feathers don't get ruffled, and um, I don't see where I need further sanctification, where I am weak and need to depend mm-hmm. on Christ. And, and the irony is that that person in front of me, who I may think is causing the sin, may actually be the agent of redemption mm-hmm. or sanctification. But part of that process is... Again, rubbing the wrong way, having differences, differences of opinion, whatever it may be, uh, and um, given another opportunity, an environment to love. That love is not just, gospel love is not just constrained to similarities or like-mindedness. So just to touch on the word that you use, you need agitators. You know, we need agitators, but we don't like agitators. No. And not to say we're there just to agitate. Yes. Yes. No, I'm I'm using the word in the way that I think you were using the word, which is that you need loving, gracious, Christ-centered agitators. Yes. Who are going to speak truth into your life because they actually love you and care for you and want to um, be a means of grace in your life. Right. Yes. That's what you mean by agitator. Yeah. I, I, what comes to mind is a washing machine. I don't, I don't know why just the agitating yeah, to get the, to get it clean. Yeah. Well, here's my question to you then is that, so you have these, the 
good form of agitator who comes into your life. And I think we've all experienced this. Why is it so hard to receive the agitation? That's selfishness. I think at the heart of sin is me. You know, um, go back to the Genesis. You don't have to go far. Uh, just the first couple of chapters of Genesis, chapter three. Adam, it's about me, not her, not God. And for Eve, it's not about her. It's the serpent and God. You look at Abraham and Isaac, how they, you know, were willing to uh, sacrifice the honor of their wives. We're so self-centered. And I think we underestimate the power, the pervasiveness of that Mm. self-centeredness in sin. In everything we do, it's always there. It doesn't just pop up. I think even whether it's me preaching or me just talking to this podcast or me just even being alone or with a stranger, that selfishness is right there. So to speak in theological terms, I have to mortify that selfishness and allow the humility and the sacrifice of selflessness of the gospel of Christ to shine through. Fuji, what do you think? Agitators, I'll I'll use a nice way to put it, someone who is... uh you know, speaking the truth to you in love and grace. Yeah. And why is it so hard? Because I do think that that's a part of what it means to be willing to even cross generations is that this concept of being in community where sometimes it can be uncomfortable because people actually care for you enough to speak into your life. I'm not sure if I'm answering the question, but I just had to write a piece on, on my uh, church planning mentor the last 20 some years actually i stopped church planting and even afterwards we still talk and i just had to send it send this article out uh, on your church planting mentor yeah because you mean, are you is it for like a what do you it, call that a, like a fesh feshrift feshrift yeah. is it a feshrift it's it's like that okay. um he doesn't have that many months to to go mm. so and the line that i wrote in there is because he would say this line is you know, there's lots of issues in our lives, but he would throw something in there, right, to challenge my tendency mm. or ask questions, provocative questions. And what it's doing is a cup full of dirty water and the dirt is on the bottom. What he's doing is, and this is the metaphor, is he's stirring the water. <laughs> so it's just to see where will this end? What will be the result of this stirring of the water? Uh, will you clean it up? Uh, or will it just settle back down to where yeah. it was? And mm-hmm. he's, he's kind of stirring, mm-hmm. but he's really praying and hoping that the Holy Spirit will do something in my life, in my heart. Mm-hmm. And it, it is that kind of agitation. Mm-hmm. The word I think yeah. is apt. Holy agitation. Yeah. He's in his 80s. So much wiser loves the gospel, preaches and mentors me into my heart and life. Who else is going to do that? There are very few people who are able to do that. And I think you need that cross-generational age, wisdom. I need that in my life. And unfortunately now at my age or our age, our mentors, at least my mentors are are passing. And it's hard. Even thinking about that is hard. But bring this conversation back to the topic is that I think we need to see the gospel and people working out the gospel in different life stages. Say, oh, this is how they work it out. 
Yes. And I need to see that. Yes. Because all yeah. I can see is my, with my little blinders yes. is my life yeah. and how I'm struggling. And that's the key word, struggling to work out the gospel. We recently, Joe and I met with a group of people. We had lunch with a group of people who were in the church, campus church ministry that we were a part of together. And just sharing a lot of fun and funny stories. And there are many. But, you know, what's interesting about that time period is that um, <laughs> you're dealing mostly with college students and then someone who's in pastoral ministry who's only literally like two years older than them. So I'm 23, 24. There, Joe is a, what are you? 21. 21. <laughs> I mean, and the funny thing is we tend to think we know so much more than we do, you know? And you look back now and you say, Oh, you shake your head and go, oh man, you know, I would joke about some of the things that I preached on. Amazingly, there was this one woman who was with us and she has an elephantine memory. So she remembered certain things about even my sermons and I go, oh, <laughs> it's one of those cringy moments where you're looking at or hearing yourself and you go, oh, I wish I didn't hear that. But that time period, while it had great memories, but I would say as a quote, and I'm using air quotes to describe church, we just did not experience what it meant to be a church that is uh, hearing from different generations and different life stages. And it's one thing if, and I do think in this instance, we didn't really have much of a choice because there weren't really that many options. But I think there are oftentimes a church or people who are looking for a church actually want, are seeking, oh, I only want people who are exactly like me. You know, I want them to know. And I, I think singles, and I really want to um, speak to the singles, single adults, uh, especially younger single adults, their instinct is to almost always want a church with young single adults. Like that's there because, and it's not wrong. And maybe this goes back to what you said, Joe, and I would love to hear you on this is that it's not wrong for a single Christian man or woman to want to find possibly a husband or a wife in a church. Like that's a wonderful place to meet someone who you can say, I think I can be with this person for the rest of my life. But if that's the only reason why you're choosing a church, then not only is it a miss, but I do think that they're missing out on exactly what God has for them. What, do, what are your thoughts, Joe, on this, this topic, especially for single young adults? And how do you rightly evaluate going to a church, what that looks like, and recognizing that it, it is a great place to meet somebody, but at the same time, it can't be primary? What are your thoughts? No, I completely agree. I mean, it shouldn't be primary. Um, now, you may end up at a church that's wonderful, the best place for you to be. And it may be more populated by people in your life stage. That's possible. But I think one, on a simple level, it undermines or it really cast out, the flip side, cast out on whether God can use someone older, even someone younger. Like, I, I would venture with great confidence that the mentors who went to the retreat, they were blessed by... And this was a high school retreat. Yeah, the high school retreat. 
blessed by students who are less than half their age. Yeah. And I would want for them to know that. And there's a reason right. why Paul says, don't let people look down on you for your age, your youth, to Timothy. Uh, so it just, I think we just have to be very conscientious and to wrestle with what our heart's motive really, re- really is. And it's funny, even in that exercise, to have someone who is outside of your own mind's process to say, hey, are you really just going to church to look for someone to marry? Is that, is that really what you're looking for? Then yeah, you may end up with that, but then what good is it? Because you haven't grown in your faith. Right. You've grown in your own selfish pursuit of a life yeah. partner. And then that's, that's actually not going to be good for the marriage. If anything, you know, you want to grow in your faith to be able to walk well with this person. So I've actually found that people who have made this the primary pursuit of why they choose a particular church to attend, usually now, if they're our age, and I know this is anecdotal, but many times they're not walking with the Lord because it, it does have a consumeristic mentality to it. It's what am I going to get out of this? And we don't just approach that towards marriage. That's, a, that's a, um, a mindset that is pervasive throughout their life. And so it would make sense that eventually everything becomes so utilitarian that you just decide everything on that basis. What am I going to get out of this, including a relationship with the Lord? And eventually it, it falls short. And you can see a, a fading, a backsliding, or maybe a re- revelation of no faith at all from the very outset. One of the stories or applications of the gospel that I used to tell, if you're single, because of self-sacrifice for you, you should be self-sacrificial in the church, uh, not be consumeristic. It's not, it's not about you. If you're a single person and you want to pick a, another single person to be your you know, significant other, what should you look for? You should look for self-sacrifice. Not a consumer mentality, but a self-sacrificial uh, mentality. How, well, how, do you, how can you tell? That person is loving people who they don't have anything to, you know, commonality yeah. with them. They don't get anything back from the person that they're serving. Mm-hmm. They're just self-sacrificial. It could be the, to the next generation. It could be a, a disabled person or a hurting person in the church. That's what you should be attracted to. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily this person who comes in and they're just wanting to date. That's what you should be going for. But usually that's not the case. Yeah. Why is it not the case? I agree with you. It should be what is attractive in a sense. Like you look and see, wow, that, that person is so self-sacrificial, other-centered, Christward. But yet you're describing maybe sadly the exception, not the rule. Why? Sin. <laughs> I don't know what What's else. that word you used earlier? <laughs> Inherent sin? Inherent selfishness and sin. But, yeah, I mean, you know, I think of Jesus. He came, it wasn't about what can I get, it's what can I give. And it's funny how for, yeah, I admit, like, that was certainly in my mindset and in my heart, unfortunately, before I considered coming to Wellspring, like, what can I get out of this? And not the, not hundred percent, but it certainly was there, and I had to wrestle with that. And and I, if I recall the days when I was searching for a church or whatever you want to call it, church hopping and looking for a church, um, 
And I think for those who say, like, I haven't found the church, but there are churches, I'm like, man, your desire is just too great. Only you can satisfy that. And I, I mean that sarcastically. It's really about, if we're willing to reflect Christ, is what can I give to the church? That should be our primary attitude. That's how we reflect Christ. And then, hey, seek first his kingdom. Then all these things, maybe all these things includes all this, maybe a person in that. I don't know. But um, it, it's sin. And we have to constantly be on guard, vigilant, and mortifying that selfishness. And if I'm going to keep deceiving myself to be selfish, I need other people to tell me otherwise, to agitate against that internal inclination to selfishness and sin to say, you know, no, this isn't what my heart should be fixated on as I go to college, as I leave college and become a signal or single in looking for church. I don't know if I could ask you a question. You know, what do you say to a family? They want to come to a church with other high school students or other middle school students other children and they're looking for that kind of church you know and i think wellspring is a great place for that but what if wellspring wasn't that great at one point wellspring was a lot of singles in the beginning right 20 some years ago with families coming and saying where's the high school kids this is not the church for me yeah, yeah. what what would be the counsel to them in light of what we're talking about? Oh, that's a hard one. That's a hard one only because um, there's many sort of directions that you can answer that question from. One is the one that Joe answered earlier, which is this idea that it's not wrong to want to have some level of peers for my children. I don't think that's inherently sinful to desire that. The problem is when it becomes ultimate. And when it becomes ultimate, then it's displacing Christ, who is supposed to be ultimate. And so, therefore, we go down a, a road that I think becomes this self fulfilling prophecy of I want what I want. I don't care what I'm called to do. I don't care what is most Christ honoring. And I eventually find that. But then it actually leads me to be self centered in heart. So, it just starts perpetuating itself in all my spiritual decisions. So I think that's one problem with this scenario is that we, we, uh, if when, when the pursuit of whatever it is, is ultimate over Christ. I think the second thing that makes it so challenging to answer is that, um, you know, from the church's perspective, I remember being in those stages where someone would visit, we would be a certain demographic, and they will come for the first time. They actually seemed interested. They maybe liked the message. They liked our ministry philosophy and theology, doctrine, all that. But then they would say, yeah, but do you have anything, uh, a youth program or whatever, ministry or whatever it might be? And the honest answer would be, no, we don't. Um, Lord willing, one day that will happen. So it might take some time but I hope you can see what we're about. It's hard for that person to overcome, even if there's theological and doctrinal alignment, uh, to overcome 
a lack of uh, unity when it comes to life stage. It takes a desire to live beyond your own world view and your own sphere of life. I find that to be truly the exception. And yeah, now it's much easier for us. So I think then from the church's perspective now, we have to be more cautious about that. We have to be, we do need to ask questions of and make sure, yes, there, you might come because you like our youth ministry. Now we're at that stage where people come because of, you know, Access Middle School. And no other churches around has that. And so they want to be a part of that. The danger for us now is that we let that be the primary hook. And not just that's a hook, but we let it be the, the foundation of who they are and what we believe they should be. And I think, actually, if we go down that road, we become a consumerist church. And, it, and it's deadly to the soul of the church. So it, it's like a contagion. It literally just like a cancer, it just starts spreading into our whole fabric, which is one of the reasons why Gospel Well is, and here, here's my shameless plug for Gospel Well for this coming session, is that beginning March 5th, if you have not yet taken it, I really want to encourage you to do so. And here's why I think, and it's, um, as we're thinking about Berkeley, we're thinking about implementing Gospel Well there. And the reason why Gospel Well is that we just see so strongly the, the, necessity to have a, a um, Christ-centered framework as to who, why, and what we do in this world, and to be other-centered and self-sacrificial and thinking of others and denying ourselves and taking up the cross daily and following. Because even the things that we do as a church, while we have youth ministries and children's ministries, and they're attractional, but if we rest our laurels on that attraction, it's going to lead to only death, really. Just a slow burn because eventually we'll become this old group of five old people hanging on, clinging to a building when there's another church coming to our door saying, hey, can we church plan in here? And, can, and we say, no, no, this is my building. All five of us. We started this when we were. How did that happen? Because it was attractional. Everything was, hey, come and be a part of us and what we're doing rather than be transformed by the gospel of Christ and then go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. Like it's supposed to be like that, right? Mm -hmm. Not a, let me find my tribe of junior hires. It's, that's sort of ridiculous, actually, because how long does that last for anyway? How long does it last for, Joe? <laughs> Joe, you know, you can answer this. It doesn't last long, though, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> well, you experienced this, right? Yeah. That's what I think. Well, thankful for today's topic. And please sign up for Gospel Well. Yes. We'll see you next week. May the gospel make you well. 